All right, well, let's get to these phone lines, and uh, Lloyd's up first. Good morning, Lloyd. Good morning, Bob. Thank you for taking my call. Well, thank you for calling me so bright and early in the morning. <laughs> or dark and uh, early, as the case may be. <laughs> yeah, I guess I was on the wrong side of Bernie. Uh, we didn't get a drop last night. I uh, heard a lot of storms went through town, but I'm over here in Bergheim, and yeah. Well, I I was surprised. I got twenty two one hundreds, but I have a friend that lives midway between where I am and Bernie, and he had roofs ripped off of about a one acre barn. Had trees down. I mean, it looked like a war zone over there. And it's just oh, wow. these. Uh, it's just amazing how intense a storm can become and how quickly it can. Uh, my meteorologist friend that I trust that, uh, <laughs> he's a professional meteorologist, works for an environmental services company. And he warned early on back in February, he said, this may be a spring of violent weather with these warm and cool fronts colliding. And boy, Dave just nailed it right on the head. But it's, uh, you know, it just depends on what, which cloud you are under, um, is and thank goodness uh thank goodness that we both avoided the violent weather but uh we we could always use that next good rain uh the river's in better shape than i've seen it in uh a lot of years for june and uh you know we've got some good deep soil moisture but i still want more (laughs) i just every time Mm -hmm. there's a chance i want another inch of rain so you probably feel the same way oh yes uh quick question uh i did something for the first time uh this year is Mm -hmm. I was going through H-E-B, and I bought some organic uh, ginger and some organic turmeric. Okay. And I put it in the ground, and it came up, and it is the ugliest pale yellow <laughs> green I've ever seen. I've, I've, I've magic sanded it. I've fertilized it. Is there something I'm doing wrong, or is that just a ugly green plant that I've got to get used to? Well, garden? they're not real pretty plants now i've not grown turmeric i don't know how too well turmeric is going to do here your ginger should get better uh you know you're starting off with a little piece of a rhizome from ginger who knows how long it's been sitting there drying out and how how long it's been since you planted them uh i put them in when i bought them and they've been in the ground for it was about six months before they sprouted okay uh and they've come up this spring now uh uh I guess early spring is when they first started coming up. Okay. They're about a foot and a half tall, mm-hmm. uh, so they are growing. Uh, the, the only difference I see between them is the ginger has a narrower leaf, where the right. turmeric is a little bit broader. Right. But they're both just this pale, yellowy green. They're, they're just... Like I'm, I'm neglecting something, but I, I can't fertilize them enough the way it seems well you're just going to have to be patient with them here's the thing about both of those plants and that is they really can't to do the best they can't stay in the ground over the winter uh they need to be either grown in a pot or they need to be dug up in the fall and brought inside now fortunately even though we had that real early freeze that set so many things back we did not have an especially cold winter had we had a really cold winter they probably wouldn't be coming up at all so even with the relatively mild winter we have they simply went down so far in that cold ground over the winter months that it's going to take them a long time to recover they will get better it sounds like you're doing everything you really should with the magic sand with the uh you know has to grow but at this point i'm just 
going to tell you, it's just going to take some time because they came real close to just giving up over the winter months. So this fall, as we get into into the season where the soil really starts cooling down, you're going to need to dig them up, put them in a pot, bring them inside if that rhizome has grown enough that you can harvest some of it to use and say, okay, this is what I worked my butt off for all summer long was to get a little bit of my own fresh organic ginger and turmeric. You know, I can do that. But at this point, they're just struggling to get back on their feet. And that's what you're looking at. Uh, They will turn around. They will get a darker green, but um, they just can't stay outside in the winter. I think you probably came very close to losing them this winter, and I'm glad they came back at all for you. But I'm going to tell you, probably by September, October, you're going to see the newer growth that's coming out, a much darker green. You've done your part. You've put all the good stuff in the soil. Now the plant just needs to expand its root system and kind of get back on its feet. So so this next winter, uh, my, my best chance with them is to actually – pot them yeah in a in a pot and then bring them inside right is that the best that's the best way to, to overwinter them yes sir it sure is it's just they're they're you know it's a huge family of plants or uh in fact there are several different genera uh in there of what we call ginger the ones uh that we eat are unfortunately not cold hardy ones now i can tell you gingers that are tropical that are beautiful that won't take any cold i can tell you gingers that will you know take all the cold that south texas ever throws at them uh the ones that you have are kind of in between they really are going to have to come inside that soil is going to need to stay 65 degrees or above and 75 or above is even better um to get them through the winter months so they uh, i you know, I don't really know any other way to put it. You're lucky they survived it all, but it's taken them a little while to get back on their feet. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Well, you enjoy and uh, new experience, but just uh, you, you, you've got a couple of plants that really aren't cold-hardy plants, especially in Bergheim. Uh, you know, you're 5 to 10 degrees colder than San Antonio, so glad these things made it through it all. But uh, be patient with them. I think if you were to dig up and look at those rhizomes, you're going to find there was not a whole lot left of them after the winter months, and it's just going to take them a little while to get reestablished and come on. Future years, they're going to be dark green from uh, the day you put them out in the in the summer months, and you can actually grow them in a pot. It's not that difficult to grow as long as you're you know around to water them. A little bit less maintenance to put them in the ground, but if you do that, uh, you're going to have to dig them up every winter. The kind of in between route that you can take, and this works with a lot of different things from plumerias to hibiscus to gingers, is if you've got them in like a black plastic nursery container, you can actually just sink that container down in the ground. Your ginger is going to grow the roots out through the holes in the bottom. It's going to get some traction. It's going to have some roots spread out in that garden soil. And then when it comes time to dig them up and bring them in for the winter months, it's simply take your long-bladed, my grandfather called it a bilduki, sharpshooter, whatever you want to, just light down the side, cut those roots, lift that pot out of the ground, drag it inside for the winter months, and put it back out in the spring. And that's a lot less shock to it than actually digging up and exposing the rhizome and replanting it, which would be your other option. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. It sounds like a fun project. Let me know how you do with it. (laughs) All right. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Lloyd. (laughs) Bye. 
All right, Lewis and then JT are my next two callers. Uh, good morning, Lewis. Good morning, Mr. Bob. Good morning, sir. Bob, I'm back in my question's about caladiums. Back in February, I bought five, four or five paper bags with caladium, I guess, bulbs, corms, whatever they're called. They're actually bulbs, kind yes, sir. Forgot a, kind of forgot about them, waiting for warm weather. Found them yesterday and planted them. Tell me what you know about growing caladiums. Well, um, number one, you're not you're you're going to do pretty well with it. Were the bulbs? I'm sure they felt a little lighter, but were they still good and solid after having spent uh, an extended period of time in the bags? I would say about eighty percent of them looked pretty good. They okay. had some uh, pretty sharp sprouts on them that looked um, uh, still viable. Okay, and did you plant them in a shady area, sunny area? Shady. They only get morning sun for about four hours. Well, that should the rest be is in shade. That should be perfect. Um, you just uh, all you're going to do is water and fertilize, and you're going to have absolutely gorgeous plants all the way up till freezing weather in the fall. The thing that a lot of people don't do they look at that and say oh it's a bulb it can take care of itself Uh uh-uh if you plant a bulb and ignore it it'll be beautiful for six weeks or so then it starts downhill if you fertilize it regularly and i like a liquid like has to grow or espoma or one of the um, fox farms products be fertilizing about every two weeks uh, your caladiums, especially when you plant them this late, they are going to want to put on some blooms, which are that kind of odd looking, kind of hooded growth that comes up. Pinch those off as soon as you see them because you don't want those bulbs putting their energy into, uh, you know, into flowering. You want them to make as many leaves as possible. And quite frankly, I think caladiums, because the soil is so much warmer, I think caladiums are a better fall plant than they are spring plant. You're starting here in the middle of the summer. So long as you provide them with nutrient and water, they're going to absolutely flourish for you. And when everybody else's are kind of fading out in August because they haven't been fertilizing at all, yours are just going to keep on getting better. Now, rarely is it really worth digging the bulbs up and bringing them inside for the winter months. But if you take really good care of them, that is an option. When we get to freezing weather, when the tops freeze back, you can dig those bulbs and bring them inside and Hmm. replant them back out next spring. But for now, they've suffered a little stress because they've been sitting there dehydrating. They wish they had gone into the ground six weeks ago. But uh, don't despair. You're not that late on it. And, you know, a little work on your part, you're going to have a gorgeous bed of caladiums, uh, you know, through the through the entire summer and fall. Okay. Any insect pests or disease to watch out for? Watch out for snails and slugs. Those are about the only ones that uh, I ever see getting after caladiums. And uh, you can get a little sluggo or sluggo plus, and uh, that's non-toxic, mm-hmm. yeah. Just put some of that around. The, the other question I've got, if you got just a minute, I've got canna lilies with leaf rollers in them. Uh-huh. Any any other than BT? Any um, spinosad? Or anything? Yeah, spinosad. The thing about BT, the, the good thing about BT, if you like, is that it remains active, especially if you put a little molasses in it when you spray it on. It's going to stay on the foliage for an extended period of time waiting for that leaf roller 
uh, leaf-rolling caterpillar to take a bite out of it, and then the BT is going to get it. Uh, bad news, of course, is that the BT affects all caterpillars and butterflies, and you don't necessarily want to wipe them all out. Uh, the thing about spinosad, good news is that uh, it kills caterpillars very, very effectively. Bad news is it's got to come in contact with them, so you probably going to have to spray more than once and if they've already rolled up the leaf if they've got all that webbing right. around them may want to put a little drop or two of uh, dish soap or something in there to help that spinosad penetrate better but uh, you know where you're putting it you know it's not going anywhere else and while it is harmful you know to some beneficials it's uh, it's really easy to control where you spray it and it's very effective at taking out the leaf rollers and any other caterpillar problems you have. Okay, I've got some that spinosad soap like work. recommended yeah. on the uh, leaf-footed bugs, on right. the leaf-footed stink bugs. That that would be fine to use. That would it? be perfect to use. Okay, I've got some handy because I'm, I do the same thing you do. I go in the garden and kill blasted leaf-footed stink bugs with it. <laughs> and I don't know, they just showed up. My tomatoes, uh, especially my cherry tomatoes, are suddenly just loading up. And man, out of nowhere, I've got those blasted leaf-footed bugs just coming out everywhere. So uh, uh, they get a little shot of that, and it does keep them under control. But man, when they arrive, they arrive with a vengeance this summer. They sure did. All right, Bob, I appreciate the help on my cannabis this morning. Good show as always. Thank always you. appreciate the call. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. Okay, let's talk to JT. Good morning, JT. Hey, good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Uh, uh, I was wondering if you might have any information or even a guesstimation about using a process similar to brewing compost tea to culture BTI spray using a small amount of BTI granules. Well, BTI, Bacillus thuringiensis israeliensis, is basically an aquatic organism. Um, I would presume, and, um, you know, I, I don't know this for a fact because I've never really tried to perpetuate it, so to speak, but I think any sugary thing like molasses or anything else is going to uh, help maintain uh, that that BTI culture as it was is going to keep your bacteria reproducing, expanding. Um, tell me how you're using the BTI and uh, um, why why it's of concern to uh, keep a keep a culture of it going all the time. Well, uh, don't necessarily want to keep it going all the time, but so far I've just used uh, the granules spread out in either standing water or in water or in the damp areas mm -hmm. but i was doing some reading and some, they had i guess somewhere i don't know some foreign country they had fostered the development of it just introducing a small amount of the bti into a coconut and that sugary water it really made a, a concentrate that then they could spray out in marshy areas or grassy areas that were wet okay were okay them. makes sense so that, that, that's kind of what i was interested in. i know it's like you said some sugary substance there that they're would foster the development, but I had no idea what concentration of sugar for so many gallons of spray or that kind of stuff that it might might work. And how long do you need to brew it to get a, have a what multiplier are you going to get in so many hours? <laughs> all you know, all really really good questions. Um, the thing that you have to be careful of with any time you are brewing, whether it's compost tea or whether it's BTI tea, as it were, 
is you don't want to overstimulate it because if you get too much reproduction going on in there, you use up all the available oxygen, your system goes anaerobic on you, and pretty much all the good guys die out, and there's nothing but some pretty bad anaerobic bacteria left. So um, the you know having a large amount of oxygen in the water is going to be one of the keys to doing this very successfully. It's pretty easy to do even with just you know Bruce Dooley's old uh, tea bucket that he made for twenty bucks or whatever. You go down to the aquarium shop, get you a couple air stones like you put in a uh, fish uh, aquarium and a little bit of air pump, and now you've got something that's going to keep a great deal of oxygen in that water. I'm and and of course coconut water high in carbohydrates high in a natural fruit sugar so to speak but all the different sugars have a lot of energy tied up in the form of uh, carbon bonds in that carbohydrate material so uh, I don't think there's anything magic about coconut water I think you can do the same thing with almost any source of sugar except honey don't ever use honey as a source because it is naturally antibacterial that's why you never see mold growing in a jar of honey so it needs to be sugar whether it's cane sugar whether it's uh you know molasses something like that i would be looking at for maybe a gallon if if you're making a gallon of tea i'd be looking at maybe a teaspoon or two of uh either molasses or any sugary substance and i think you'd be fine with that Keep in mind, too, that the hotter the water gets, the less oxygen it holds. So if you're doing this over the winter months, you can add a little bit more sugar because uh, the oxygen is good. You're going to have a lot more oxygen in the water. So this uh, constant reproduction of the BTI. And it's not just you're not going to have a pure culture of BTI. You're going to have a lot of other microbes going in there. Um, something sometimes up to as many as 10,000 different kinds of bacteria growing in there, but, uh, among them will be the BTI. So, um, unless you're going to start with distilled water or, you know, sterile water, which I don't think is at all necessary, um, you're going to get a lot of other things growing in there, but I figure a teaspoon or two of your sugary substance per gallon i would be oxygenating it very highly the seems that somewhere between 18 and 36 hours is pretty much the time you're going to have the maximum level of your beneficial microbes that you're looking for after 36 hours i probably would empty the system and start over yeah well that's kind of along the line of what i was hoping you would say i plan to use like a 20 gallon uh homemade brewer with sure. the air stones and all that sort of stuff. And so um, well, I'll give that a shot. Maybe, yeah, uh, may, maybe a fourth of a cup of molasses in there. And um, uh, again, uh, it's the, the reason that it doesn't go on forever is, of course, all the other microbes that you're going to have growing in there along with the BTI. And it's simply yeah. they're going to over the power of the system in, over, you know, say 48 hours or so. So you're going to need to keep starting with a fresh batch a fresh brew fairly often so to speak this but that's not a big deal but hey you're on the right track i think you're going to do fine well, with it well i got a 40 pound bag of granules from arbuco organics and so i figured give it a shot you and go for it thing, the uh, the corn water on the oak trees yeah last year the new growth on the trees is, looks perfectly normal now excellent it's amazing it is so you helped me with that a lot and i appreciate it well have a good day good to, yeah. good to
talk to you. Thank well, you. I appreciate the call, JT. For weekend as well. Phone lines open to get the next hour started. We'll be right back after news here on KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas. So uh, there's a lot of things to do outside, and uh, uh, gosh, lots, lots of things that need to be done. If you haven't fertilized since early spring, it really is time to get some more good old organic fertilizer on the yard. And no, it doesn't have to be watered in. You don't have to wait for a rain. You don't have to be rushing out to turn that sprinkler system on when you use organic products. There's just, just a lot of things to do. So uh, if you'd like to talk about it, it's a real good time to dial because those phone lines really get jammed up a little bit later in the show. And you know the number, 210-599-5555. If you're just getting around to saying, you know, I just didn't get my garden planted as early as I wanted to this spring. What on earth can I still plant? Well, hey, you still can put okra in the ground. It's going to come up and grow like a weed. Plant a fall crop of uh, of bush beans or a summer crop of bush beans. They produce in about 30 days or so, so it's not a long wait. Just be sure you get a good warm weather variety, contender, top crop, or one of those. The Tavera that I love in the spring, man, they've just shut down since weather's been getting up in the 90s. But you can still plant bush beans. We're just right around the corner from having tomato plants available for your fall garden, along with peppers and eggplant. Get the soil ready. Everywhere you're going to put out plants for your late summer garden go ahead and put a cup of fertilizer down put a little compost on top of it start watering it about three weeks from now when all those transplants start showing up in the nurseries you'll be amazed at how much better shape your soil is in and uh, it'll just get things off to a wonderful start i could go on and on but uh wayne just called so uh let's see what's on his mind good morning wayne good morning bob morning sir I got a question about my tomato plants. They, okay. uh, I drowned the first ones because I put them in pots and put them in the ground to keep the gophers away from them. And then uh, so I put some new ones out, and all the leaves seem to be curling up on it. Do the leaves look normal and just curved, or is it a very abnormal, distorted-looking uh, growth that's coming out on them? No, they're still green. Look very. I mean, they look good. They're just kind of all curling up. It, the yeah, that's that's more weather than anything else. That's more heat and humidity and having the humidity going up and down. I think that's a fairly normal thing. I would be spraying every couple of weeks with seaweed, liquid seaweed, because the spider mites are starting to show up. And that, of course, can cause a lot of leaf curl. But in addition, you'll get sort of a bleaching out of the leaves. You'll start seeing some webbing in there. I think at this point, you're just really looking at... Uh, a dry wind, and I wouldn't be terribly concerned about it. With with the tomatoes, don't be watering too often uh, uh, in the ground, even if they're in pots in the ground to protect them from the gophers. Just be sure that when you water, you really, really soak them, but let them go until that soil's dry an inch, inch and a half deep before you water them again. And uh, be fertilizing regularly. I think you're going to see a little evening out. I think you're going to see less leaf curling, but you have to realize those plants came out of uh, a absolutely perfect greenhouse conditions and your garden my garden nobody's garden is is anywhere near the conditions that they were facing inside the greenhouse so bottom line i think you're looking at what i would expect a tomato plant to do as long as the new growth is looking good when it comes out as long as you're not getting just an abnormal 
you know, just mutated looking growth, which would indicate virus, which there's plenty of out there. But I think you're just looking at summertime and tomato plants. I think they're going to grow out of it. And you do your part with proper watering and be feeding every couple of weeks with a liquid fertilizer. Uh, you're on your way to some good tomatoes. All right. Appreciate it, Bob. You have a great day. Well, you do the same. I appreciate the call. Did you plant cherries? Did you plant large fruited varieties? Did you plant a variety? Just a variety, a couple of cherries, a celebrity, and I think a big boy. Very good. Your cherries are going to produce just nonstop all summer long. We're getting to the point. I'm still setting some big fruit in my garden, but as these night temperatures climb, we get to the point that uh, night temperatures are upper 70s all the way you know, into the low 80s. It's perfectly normal that your large fruited tomatoes are not going to be setting a lot of fruit. Uh, grow those plants. They'll give you a bumper crop when things start to cool off, but count on your cherries to produce all summer but uh big fruit varieties uh you're going to be looking at them and saying i got beautiful plants i just don't have any tomatoes and that's just kind of summer in texas they'll get around to producing tomatoes but don't expect too much out of your big fruit varieties right now all righty hey wayne i appreciate the call you have a good weekend you too bob thank, thank you thank you sir bye all right, let's get back to gardening here. We're going to talk to Mo, and once again, you know, come 7.30, you're going to be dialing and getting all those busy signals. So if you got a question, it's a real good time. Just roll over and punch those buttons, 210-599-5555. And I'll say good morning to you, just like I say good morning, Mo. Hey, good morning, Mr. Bob. How you doing? Um, you know, it's just a good day. What can I say? It's... Uh, it's been an unusual spring and summer, but boy, seeing the regular moisture, seeing the temperatures not getting quite as high as they do some years, uh, I far be it for me to complain about what's happening so far. Absolutely, absolutely. Every bit of rain we get, I'm enjoying. Rivers are full, lakes are full. Can't complain. You sure can't. Yes, sir. I have a quick, uh, couple questions, if you don't mind. One, the main one. We have a big orange tree in our backyard. When's the best time to, 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 I guess, prune them down? You can do it right now. Orange trees, any pruning that you do is for your benefit, not really for the tree's benefit. They don't have to be pruned to be productive and all. So if you, um, if you want to do some trimming in there, the nice thing about doing it this time of year is that you can see which limbs you know have the developing fruit and if you're going through to thin it out if you're going through to raise the canopy a little bit you can selectively take out the limbs that are not going to give you much produce leave the limbs that have a bunch of developing oranges so uh, i think you're fine to do it right now okay yeah and that's the reason why we're doing it when we like to barbecue outside we do sit out underneath the tree because it's <laughs> great shade right uh, they're just getting a little too low and the thorns sometimes get you well, if if you want to go through and, and prune, and of course, no reason to worry about painting wounds or anything like that. Just do your best to leave the limbs that are going to have lots of oranges, but uh, just be sure your pruning shears are sharp, and you just give it a little bit of a haircut. Pretty pretty simple, pretty simple process. Just uh, you know, do it uh, like anything else. Working in this heat, yeah. Drink those fluids. Get your electrolytes going because you can get in trouble in a big hurry. But you've been through enough summers to already know that. So no, if you're looking for something good to do this afternoon uh, I'd, or this morning, I'd I get out there with puny cheers and give it a bit of a haircut. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, last question here. We have a tree in the front. 
it's always caused a lot of mess and, and it's starting to uh, wreak havoc on our driveway. Okay. What would be the best way to, to kill the tree? And what kind of tree is it? I, all I can tell you is it, it makes mess all year round. When, uh, <laughs> during, depending on what time of year it is, it has these little green balls or these long little uh, tentacle type things that, that just drops a whole bunch of pollen and junk. Well, you're narrowing it down a little bit, but uh, um, basically, if you want to get rid of it, just uh, cut it off as close to the ground as possible. If you want, you know, if you want just instantaneous results for a few dollars, you can get somebody to come in or actually you're probably pretty fit and able to do things yourself. You can actually rent something called a stump grinder and out in the front yard i mean these things can be difficult to maneuver through the gate they weigh a couple of hundred pounds but uh there are also people that provide this service at pretty low cost this thing just sits down on top of the stump and chews it up literally chews it up several inches down into the ground and um and and that sort of instant tree be gone uh if you want to you know do it a little bit more slowly without paying any large amount of money Cut it off as close to the ground as you can. Drill a bunch of holes down into the stump. Uh, you know, get a, a long shank drill bit, maybe half an inch up to three quarters of an inch. Drill a bunch of holes down into that stump. Fill them with something they call stump remover. It's basically yes. potassium nitrate, saltpeter, whatever you want to call it. And that will cause the stump to rot away much more quickly. Uh, this is probably a soft wooded tree. So, you drill the holes, you put the stump remover in, you give it probably eight to ten weeks, and then just put a couple of charcoal briquettes on top, uh, light, and it just smolders. It doesn't flame up or anything, just smolders, burns all the way down into the ground, and the stump's gone that way. So instant option, find somebody with a stump grinder. Longer, cheaper option, drill a bunch of holes in the stump and fill them with uh, saltpeter. Uh, and either way, you're going to solve your problem with the roots messing up the driveway and the tree dripping everything in the world out on top of you. Perfect. All right. Thank you, Mr. Bob. Appreciate your advice. Always a pleasure. Thanks for the call this morning, Bo, and we'll have talk again. You too. Have, have a really good weekend. Bye. All right. Uh, next up is Jerry. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning. How you doing, Bob? Uh, it's just another wonderful day out there, early summer or in uh, in South Texas, so we got heat and humidity, but uh, you can get by in shorts and t-shirts and uh, stay cool. What do we have to complain about? Right, that's right. There's nothing, you know, bad enough to complain about. Right. I got a problem with a big oak tree. I noticed uh, one of the larger branches towards the top seems to be losing its bark, or at least I noticed it started kind of peeling off and dropping. Okay. And... Even further up, it's starting to peel off a little bit. I noticed a lot of little, I mean, tiny, tiny ants going up and down. But I don't know if that would be the issue with the tree, but unless something else is going on. And I'm on the hill country where uh-huh. there's, a, I'm kind of on a hill on a bunch of rocks, so <laughs> I don't have too much actual dirt. But <laughs> I know the feeling. But it's, a, it's a big tree, though. You know, is, is it a live oak? Is it a red oak? What live kind oak. of it's live, a live oak? oak. Yes, okay. Um, and the part of it where you're having the bark peel. Do those limbs still have good leaves on them, or they look like they're kind of dying out? No, no, they do have good leaves. It doesn't look like oak wilt or anything like that, okay. you know, that I'm aware of. But I don't have a, I don't, I haven't seen any oak wilt in my area. Good, you know, very good. You know, oak trees, the bark on a tree 
is kind of like, you know, the skin on a person or a lizard or anything else. I like to use lizards as an example because they shed their skin periodically. And as okay. your oak grows, it's perfectly normal for it to, to be dropping some bark. Now, if it seems to be excessive, uh, you very likely may have some squirrels at work. Uh, they seem to sometimes get some sort of nutrient deficiency that they think they can correct by eating tree bark. They're usually worse on pecans than they are okay. on oak trees. But um, uh, in any event, I don't think there's a real problem here. The ants are okay. almost certainly what they call wood ants. They tunnel okay. up. They make colonies in dead wood. They don't kill the wood. But if you've got okay. some dead wood up there, they're very happily going to move in. They're just, you know, like right. hanging out a for rent sign. If you want to reduce their numbers, just get some spinosad soap, and every so often where you see a trail of them going up the tree, just okay. spray with that. That will control them. I see no need for you to try to get up in the top of the tree. I don't okay. think there's anything bad, anything abnormal going on here. Uh, as you hear me say so often, check the base of the tree. Be sure that root flare is exposed. But uh, your oak tree is just doing what oak trees in the hill country do. I don't think okay. there's a problem in the world with it. Okay, because it looks like it's just splitting, like actually bulging out a little bit from the tree. So I didn't understand. I've never really seen that before or caught it, I guess. Well, how many how many springs and summers do you remember having this much moisture this regularly? Um, That's true. And, and you know what? I might be watering maybe every other day back there too where four years ago there was no water and the tree just took off now so Mm -hmm. it's been growing really well the last four years well what happens is that you know many times the inner core so to speak of the limbs Mm -hmm. the trunk simply grows faster than the bark can expand uh in the case of pecan trees your commercial pecan growers now we don't do this this with oaks because we do worry about oak wilt but your commercial pecan grower when he sets those trees out may very well take a sharp you know like a sheetrock knife or something like that and they literally split the bark uh, up and down the trunk okay. because this allows the trunk to grow and fill out more quickly. Now, I'm not suggesting you do that, but that, uh, <laughs> you know, I always, I always laugh when I hear Mark Sadowski talking about our fingers get too bigger from being, or get bigger from being around too much Mexican food. Uh, you know what would happen to you or me if we went on a real binge? You'd have a little bit more trouble yes, buttoning sir. those pants, and eventually you're just oh, going to yeah. bust out of them. And your tree's just saying, oh my gosh, I've got all the water I need, and my daddy's feeding me some good fertilizer every now and then. And a lot of times the trunk just simply grows faster than that bark can stretch and expand, and you do get splits in the bark. Okay. You know, what I'm doing, I'm looking at the base of the tree to be sure the root flare is exposed. I'm looking at the top of the tree to be sure that the new growth is looking good. And beyond that, find something else to worry about. Your tree's just doing doing its own thing. I feel better. Thank you so much, Bob. Love your show. (laughs) I sure appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Enjoy your weekend. You too. Thank you, sir. Bye. All right. uh, Next up is Jeff. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. Morning, sir. I got some... uh, I guess it's a potato vine. Okay. Uh, it's just the, like the lime green, a light green. Yeah, yeah. Growing like crazy. Can you trim the ends off? And of course. Like, of course. Now, it's the, just 
it's just going to make it branch and get fuller and thicker. Yeah, I swear potato vine can grow inches a day, and uh, you can get out there and give it as much of a haircut as you like. You're not going to set it back uh, one bit. So, yeah, don't don't hesitate to prune back your potato vine. If you want to make more, if you want to have it growing anywhere else, those little cuttings you take off will root super easily in perlite or um, I guess if you wanted to, you could even root them in a glass of water. Just pull them out as soon as they start forming roots and get them into soil. But uh, um, can you just put it and put them in potting soil? Will that? Work? I, you know, it's it's a lot easier if you get a bag of that white volcanic stuff they call perlite. Potting uh, soil has a lot of things in it that would cause a cutting to rot before it could uh-huh. start forming roots. Perlite is basically sterile. And uh, it's just the difference in having 30% success sticking them in potting soil and having 100% success rooting them in perlite. So uh, get yourself a bag of perlite. You can use it over and over, and it's just the best thing out there to root in. Oh, okay. Hey, I got one quick question. Yes, sir. Did your partner share any of that hot pepper I dropped off? Uh, A bit of it, and it sure was good. Yeah, yeah, that's that stuff you talk. I do uh, hot banana peppers right i dry them and i grind it down into a pepper it's all it's all it's good i you telling me and uh i don't know if you've done it but i think i might have told you my friend cappy lawton talks about roasting some things and roasting the chili pekins and all before he grinds them up and uses them and uh uh, get a little smoky flavor to it, along with that, uh, just the right amount of heat. Man, you're making me you're making me hungry thinking about how that good that would be on some scrambled eggs this morning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thank you much. Well, thank you for all you do, and you get out and have a great weekend. Thanks, Jeff. And you too. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Let's get back to gardening and back to the phone line. It's going to be Marcy and Roland and Betty, and Marcy's up first. Good morning, Marcy. Good morning. Good morning. I'm. I don't want to waste any time, so I'm going to get right to my. <laughs> I'll go for it. I know you're doing great. You always are. It's sometimes better um, than others, but most of the time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I use has to grow. Try to use it every seven to ten days, and it's like you said, it's been raining a lot. Mm-hmm. And I um, wanted to know. I have some of that chicken manure. You know that's dried. Right and like little granules and i was wondering if i could just top dress because i really want to get rid of it anyway and i was just wondering if i have brand new mulch can i just spread a little bit on top you can you can do that and i think you're um i love using the has to grow but i think if you kept back every two to three weeks you'd have a little more time and i think you'd still get the same results but absolutely top dress top dress with your uh with your chicken litter but um if uh, and, and what what kind of things are we fertilizing here? Bedding plants, vegetables. What are we feeding? Okay, well, I have a lot of bedding plants, like knockout roses uh-huh. and crepe myrtles, and and like little perennials. And then I have, I do have a a really small vegetable garden. We just moved this a uh, few months ago. You're a busy lady. So, yeah, and then we I have uh, green beans, which I think you said don't don't need much fertilizer. Well, don't need as much because they make some of their own. But everything you're telling me, I think you could cut your fertilizing schedule in half and still keep the same results. Okay. Well, that would be that would be nice. Yeah. Um, then I wouldn't have to worry as much about the rain. So I also have a lot of uh, quite a few vegetables, tomatoes, and and even some cantaloupe that 
I've got growing in uh, grow bags. Okay. And they're they're really big grow bags. Like I didn't know how <laughs> what size I needed. So right. like I needed one whole uh, like you know thirty or forty pounds of soil for each one. Right. And so so on that, would I do like maybe a, a cup of it and sprinkle it or? Um, yeah, I'd say a cup would be about right. Uh, somewhere between a half a cup. Believe it or not, those are not really big grow bags. I mean, the ones I grow okay. sweet potatoes in, it takes me about six bags of soil to fill those. They're Whoa. about five feet in diameter. So you're, you're kind of in the middle size there, and I think you've chosen the right size. But, um, okay. I'd, I'd use between half a cup and a cup and, I certainly wouldn't spend a lot of time measuring. I'd I'd be you know okay. out there with my empty pot or whatever I'm spreading around with uh, spreading it around with. But I'd say one cup maximum, uh, and okay. you could you could use a little less than that and still get good results. Well, say if it's a a decent size crepe myrtle, would I still just use a cup, just sprinkle it around? And, and now are these this is in that grow bag or this is in the ground? Oh, no, this is in this other things in the ground. Okay, now in the ground, yeah, I definitely would be using a little bit more. I kind of, okay. uh, my, you know, a pound of fertilizer is probably about two cups, uh, maybe even a little bit okay. more. And I kind of figure about half a pound of fertilizer for every inch trunk diameter, whether it's a crepe myrtle, whether it's a shrub of some sort, whether it's a Myers lemon tree, whatever. I'm figuring about half a pound of fertilizer per inch of trunk diameter. And in crepe myrtle, something like that, yeah, you're going to be looking at probably at two, three cups of uh, your chicken litter as opposed to okay. one cup. In a container, you're definitely going to come back, cut back somewhat. And you can't do that. Um, what do you do, like every month maybe or every uh, that months? Would, that would be ideal. And if your life gets busy, uh, that's one of Dave Ramsey's phrases that I really like is life happens. <laughs> and I imagine <laughs> yours is about like mine. Life happens with some regularity. If it's only every couple of months you get around to it, that's fine, too. Okay. Just the basics to remember, the more light a plant gets, the more fertilizer it needs. And in okay. the winter months, the roots stay active, even though the top doesn't. So it's important to feed 12 months out of the year. But look at the days. We're four hours shorter, and the sunlight is much less intense as we get into mm-hmm. the fall and okay. winter months. So we're naturally going to cut back both the frequency and the amount of fertilizer. But uh, it's just kind of like you don't you don't feed your grandmother the same amount of food you feed your 16-year-old son who's wanting to be a football yeah. player. And just that the more, <laughs> yeah, more sunlight you've got, the more fertilizer your plants are going to need. A very fast-growing tomato plant needs a little bit more nutrition than, you know, a slower-growing whatever. So uh, Chinese evergreen or something like that. So just, you know, it's not rocket science. And you obviously are a lady who loves her plants and knows what she's doing. But just uh, <laughs> um, just just apply a little thought process to it with what you're doing but like I say the more sunlight the more fertilizer uh the more windy it is the more water you're going to have to use but you're going to get pretty good feel for uh, how things are growing and uh, I, I think you're just on the high end of normal i think you can cut back on your input a little bit and still get the same great okay. results well that's great news thank you so much i really appreciate your talking with me this morning it is my pleasure i appreciate the call okay. and i hope you have a wonderful weekend Okay, thanks. Thank you, Marcy. Bye. Okay, uh, Roland is up next. Good morning, Roland. 
Hey, Bob, thanks. Uh, you've got such a good personality, Bob, about listening to <laughs> I love what I do, and I talk, get to talk to the nicest people in the world, so hey, why not? It's uh, What I'm doing is fun. Believe me, I wouldn't drag myself out of bed at 3.15 in the morning for anything less. Oh, my gosh. So we got a kind spirit, Bob. I uh, appreciate that. Uh, the reason I'm called two questions, Bob, uh, the first one is, uh, how do you kill the uh, Bermuda grass that grows out by the front of the street alongside the city curb? Oh. What, what you know, it's, it is tough. If the Bermuda grass grew half as well in our yards as it does where we don't want it, um, it would be great. Uh, there, are we talking a large area or are we talking a relatively small area? No, sir, like maybe about six feet on one section and another two or three little feet there at the other section just okay. to, to get, it, get rid of it. Well, you're never going to get rid of it. It's going to regrow. I mean, those Bermuda grass runners can grow 12 inches in a week. Uh, when conditions are right. You can burn the top off of them with the orange oil and vinegar mix. I'd a lot rather see you use that than using one of the toxic chemicals, but just uh, a gallon of strong vinegar, two ounces of orange oil. You actually won't need to mix up nearly, nearly that much, maybe a quart of vinegar and a couple of teaspoons of orange oil. Spray that on the foliage. It'll be dying back in 15 minutes. And it, this is something you're just going to have to reapply periodically. You could do the same thing. I know people that kill Bermuda grass with boiling water. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it, and if you were out in the country, I'd tell you, you can use, I know a lot of farmers and ranchers that use what we call the pear burners, propane burner that's used to burn the spines off of cactus and things like that. So cattle and goats can eat it, but any of those things will work. But the, the easy thing and what I normally use is uh, just that vinegar and orange oil mix, realizing that you're going to have to repeat it periodically because Bermuda grass is just a tough, vigorous grass that you're probably never going to totally kill. I got that one. And the other question, uh, Bob, thank you. The second one is uh, in my backyard, I have no grass. Um, maybe I should move some of that Bermuda grass from the front to the backyard. But anyway, I've got all clover leaves and just all odd types of uh, weeds and stuff that I'm constantly pulling out and mowing over. Uh -huh. Is there I should be applying now to kill the weeds so I can prep the yard for later for seeds or for grass? Well, um, yes and no. Uh, that same orange oil uh, vinegar mix is going to burn the top off of things. Now, if you're the only grass that you can really plant from seed is Bermuda grass, and Bermuda grass has to have full sun. If your backyard's at all shady, Bermuda grass is not going to do well there. And Bermuda grass loves the heat. This is the time to plant Bermuda seed. If you're gonna, if you want to see Bermuda grass, don't put it off. The hotter it is, the better and faster that grass will germinate and grow. You just have to water regularly to uh, get it established. So if you're looking for a Bermuda grass backyard, uh, this is the time to do it. I mean, I wouldn't put it off. I'd be out there as soon as you can, especially if these little rains keep up. Mother Nature's giving you, you know, a good deal of help. Uh, if you want grass in a shadier area, um, you can buy a few squares of St. Augustine sod. My two favorites, uh, one of them is called Palmetto. 
Um, it, it, that's probably the one that's, uh, that's easiest to find, but, uh, it is a great grass for the shade, uh, Delmar, D-E-L-M-A-R is the other, but I'm finding Palmetto's, uh, you know, a, a little bit easier to find right now. And if you, you know, want to do it very economically, you can chop those up in little four inch squares and just plant them out here and there. Mow regularly, either the Bermuda grass or the St. Augustine is going to choke out the clovers uh, mother nature just hates bare soil mother nature doesn't want your soil to erode so okay. if uh if roland's not planting something out there she's gonna plant something and that's you, what it is i need to get out there yeah and and your your lawnmower is the best weed controller you've got out there but you know look at the area make a plan so you're not having to try to undo something later i mean it may very well be do, do you have some trees back there do you have some shade in the backyard Yes, I have some shade, but mostly a lot of uh, western sun, so I'm yep. going to get the grass back there. Yeah, you get your grass going back there. Under the trees, you could plant some ground covers if you like. There, there are just a lot of different things you can do. Keep in mind that, um, you know, there's no perfect grass. Bermuda's fast-growing. Uh, it is tough. It is drought-tolerant. But it will also have chiggers in it. It also is going to turn brown with the first frost in the fall. It'll be the last thing to green up in the spring. So uh, do a little research before you get too carried away. But uh, where you want Bermuda, boy, get you some seed and get it planted uh, as soon as possible. I will, Bob. Appreciate it. You have a great day. You do the same, Roland. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Come on. All right, let's get back to gardening. Going to talk to Betty. You could be next if you want to give me that call, 210-599-5555. But I say good morning, Betty. Good morning. Good morning. This is going to be the least challenging of all your problems. Oh, well, we'll see about that. Give me a try. (laughs) Yeah, you are. You're the guru. Anyway, uh, it's a lily plant problems i have two kinds okay one that's in the ground i forgot how old it is but anyway it's expanding it has a broad leaf and the other lily is uh the type that you find around chris uh, easter okay anyway what i want to know is i'm gonna be dividing that lily with a broad leaf uh-huh i need to know how deep those things are in the ground. I don't want to destroy anything. And then after that's done, how to prepare the ground so I can plant these lilies, the light requirements, fertilizer, how much, what kind, the rate, okay. and how deep. Well, the um, your, your broader-leaf lily is almost certainly in the group that we refer to as crinum, C-R-I-N-U-M, crinum lilies, if you want to look that up. And there are dozens, if not hundreds, of different related varieties. And you're just going to kind of have to figure out what you have as far as how large it's going to grow. I mean, some of the crinums will grow six feet tall and have flower spikes that are 10 feet tall. Others are much more manageable. Now, I would encourage you, unless you just all of a sudden have a lot of time and energy, this is a project that is probably better done in spring or fall rather than midsummer because you are going to you are going to do some damage digging and dividing but if you need to do it now again these are tough hardy plants and they certainly will survive it the bulb portion itself 
probably going to be no more than four or five inches deep in the ground. Uh, they'll have big old thick fleshy roots, and you know those are going to go all over the place. But uh, uh, some of these things, there's one variety in particular they call Peruvian daffodil or Hymenocallis. It's not doesn't even look like a daffodil. I don't know where on earth it came up with that name but but you're looking at plants that are very very vigorous and many of them should be coming into bloom right now and you are definitely going to mess up the flowering if you're digging and dividing right now but if this is the time you need to do it um you know go for it it's not that bad a thing but i would leave uh uh, you're going to find some of the bulbs can actually be several inches in diameter. If the bulb is, let's say, three inches or up in diameter, you can separate them into individual bulbs to plant. If it's smaller than that, I would leave two or three of the bulbs kind of clumped together. I think across the board, all of these things, they're, the more sun they get, the more flowers they're going to have. So you're going to want sunny spots to grow them in and... I would fortify the soil with a little bit of good organic fertilizer, Medina, Maestro Grow, Nature's Creation, whatever you have, and then just follow it up with a little bit of a good liquid fertilizer. But these are tough, hardy plants. You're just kind of maximizing the growth in the flowers. But I really, without knowing which ones you have, I can't tell you how big the plants are going to get, and therefore I can't tell you how far apart to plant them. But most of them are going to make a clump that is probably three feet tall and three feet wide and that's what i would use as a general rule as to how you space them out okay well these are uh spring blooming uh, lilies okay uh, and now, um now one, the, one of them looks like it has a corm that's the one with the narrow leaf right now that's a whole different ball game these are uh, um um you you said related to easter lilies and uh, they they are they do form a well actually some of them make a true bulb some of them look something like a corm with these things I would not divide them at this point I would let them their natural growth cycle is to bloom in the spring to grow through at least a part of the summer and then their foliage will start to die back and they'll be more or less dormant until they start over in the spring leave them until the foliage starts to die back that is the time to dig and divide because since these are more of a true bulb type plant right now while they have foliage on them this is a time that they need to be rebuilding that bulb for next spring's growth and blooming so fertilize regularly when the heat of the summer really sets in the foliage is going to die off on these things that's your signal uh, that you can dig you're going to find that they don't make as many little bulblets as the crinum lilies you're not going to have a lot of dividing to do uh, but if you have bulbs that are let's again if they're three inches or up you can break them apart and replant them in other places but uh, it's just a totally different growth cycle your crinums can have foliage on them basically year-round unless we get a real cold winter your asiatic lilies your uh, easter lily types uh, Oh, and they're, you know, they're, they're several different forms, but they're these, they're going to bloom, they're going to grow, they're going to go deciduous, then it's all going to start over again. Let them get through their active growth phase, because this is while they're, so to speak, rebuilding and restoring those bulbs uh, so that they can do it all over again next spring. Okay, well, bad news. The Easter lily type, um, my dog attacked, he wanted that plastic uh, holder, and... Um, <laughs> 
he left my thing on the ground. <laughs> okay. So I had to, I had to, you know, put them where I could. Well, you know, uh, that's you know, so you, they you, go you, in the refrigerator. You know, I go ahead and replant them, um, oh. and and let them stay out. I'm glad the dog didn't eat them because they are no. quite toxic. But no. uh, um, yeah, if, if it's been forced upon you to do something, I would and you could I would plant them, whether it's into a pot or whether it's into the ground. Uh, I don't I wouldn't put them in the refrigerator. You would not? No. Oh, OK. 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 Well, see, I knew you could do it. <laughs> well, you ask great. good questions and you've got a great project going, Betty. Uh, oh, enjoy yeah. it and call me. Uh, call me if you have more questions. That's what I'm here for. You bet. I love you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. (laughs) Bye. And Rita is up first. Good morning. Good morning, Rita. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Well, thank you for calling. I have several questions. Okay. Years ago, I do not know how long. I do not know why. Well, I know I bought it to get rid of weeds, but I have (laughs) some Roundup. I do not think it's ever been open. Good. How do I get rid of it? Are you here in San Antonio? No. I'm up in the hill country, north of Bernie. Oh, man. Well, I, I didn't say this out loud, so pretend okay. you didn't hear it. Find uh, a friend in San Antonio who can okay. take it to, uh, they have household hazardous waste days. I tried hard to get that program going in Kendall County, and I just, it's expensive, and I just frankly didn't get the support I needed from uh, city or county. So uh, at this point, we don't really have a way to dispose of things. I'm I'm just between you and me. I'm going to be talking with the fire chief and we're going to be doing a program this fall. And I'm hopeful that maybe we can get a better, better way to dispose of these things. But San Antonio has a very good program for disposing of everything from motor oil to paint, uh, old agricultural chemicals. And, uh, um, I'm, pretty sure you could find a friend in san antonio that could arrange to get it to one of the household hazardous waste uh, i think they do it literally every working day over off of culebra and then they have certain times when you can actually put things out on the curb to get sure. rid of them but right. that that right. doesn't need to be dumped somewhere that needs to be properly disposed well, that's of that's what i figured but i didn't know what to do with it okay you were talking about, uh, I would love St. Augustine, it takes too much water. I have thrown out Bermuda grass. We have some. Mm-hmm. But you said it has chiggers. Right. What is the best thing to put on out? What is the best thing to use to get rid of chiggers? Well, when I am walking around in, you know, in Bermuda grass or Johnson grass or whatever, I'm going to put a personal repellent on me, uh, whether it's Murphy's natural, whether it's uh, cactus juice. Uh, but in general, to spray out in the yard, cedar oil, right now you can get it uh, under the Nature's Creation label, the cedar repel. Uh, there's also cedar side. But any cedar oil spray, uh, used to have a friend who sadly has passed away, but he looked after all the Little League fields over in Bandera named Bodie. And Bodie would spray his fields about three times a summer with cedar oil, and kids never got chiggers. Okay, so so if you sprayed it with cedar oil, because this is... You know, we have a little four-and-a-half-year-old grandson. Right. Don't want to spray stuff on him. So if you just sprayed it with cedar oil, 
every two months or every yeah, month every every so? couple of months. It okay. it kind of depends on the weather. It, you know, this has been an unusually well, rainy right. year, but the more it's rain cool we get, morning. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but the the faster it's growing, the more often you'd have to spray. But I I do it probably every six weeks. Okay. Okay. And but let me tell you now, even for even very young kids, uh, there are some great products out there that are deep free and have nothing harmful in there. I would not hesitate uh, on the grandkids to put uh, Murphy's Natural on them, which is a lemon oil eucalyptus mix. Uh, there's product out there called Cactus Juice, which is based on actually prickly pear cactus. These are things that are safe on your kids, um, even on your pets. <laughs> But uh, uh, I, I wouldn't hesitate to use that. But in general, um, spraying the yard with uh, Cedar Repel or something like that or any Cedar oil spray is going to do the job. One thing I would like to correct, and that is that with uh, comparing Bermuda grass and St. Augustine, St. Augustine does not use any more water than Bermuda does. But the difference is if you have to stop watering, uh, Bermuda goes dormant, St. Augustine dies. But if you're looking to have a pretty green yard, it's going to take you just as much to keep that Bermuda grass pretty as it would take to keep St. Augustine pretty. Oh, really? Yeah. It, it, it's going to take as much water. It's going to take as much water to keep it looking nice. But like I say, the difference is uh, if, not if, but when we get into drier conditions, uh, your Bermuda grass will just go dormant if you're not able to water it as much. Your St. Augustine will die if it doesn't get the water it needs. Well, if, when the St. Augustine goes dormant, does it turn brown? It doesn't go dormant. It oh. dies. St. <laughs> no, Augustine. No, I'm, so, I'm sorry, the Bermuda. Oh, yeah, it, it, it turns brown. It turns brown and just sits there and waits for some more moisture. Okay, so, but how often with the St. Augustine would you have, well, I know now, we're, I mean, we had rain last night again. Yeah, well, it's, uh, you need to have a good thorough rain. I got .22 inches, which is not yeah, really right, yeah. thorough, but um, it needs about an inch of water a week. Any of your grasses, always your Bermuda or St. Augustine, if you're going to keep them looking nice, they need about an inch of water per week. Okay, would you do Zoysia over Bermuda, I mean, over St. Augustine? I, probably not, because Zoysia will not do in the shade. It needs full sun. Oh, okay. And you mentioned young okay. kids. Zoysia yeah. is a great grass to look at, but kids will wear it down. Dogs will wear it down. I grew up, uh, part of my growing up years, we had a Zoysia front yard that had a permanently etched baseball diamond <laughs> Oh, in there, okay. so yeah. uh, uh, zoysia is a lower maintenance grass, but it doesn't stand up to foot traffic as well as Bermuda or Saint Augustine, either one. Okay, I came in on the tail end of something last week about beneficial nematodes. Right? Would they help with the um, sugars? No, no. They help no. with grub worms. They help with fire ants. They help with fleas. Uh, they're great for a lot of things, but not for chiggers. But not for chiggers. Okay. Right. We had something happen, and, um, you know, we've been out on this place over 40 years, and we have um, Spanish oak. We have some big live oaks. Huh? They're doing fine. But the Spanish oaks, I don't know. They, I don't know how many we have lost over the years. They just die. Yep. They're, they're just a wimpier tree. I'm sorry, but they just don't live as long. They don't like all the rain. Spanish oak loves it hot and dry. 
And uh, a live oak can live three or four hundred years. Uh, hill country Spanish oaks probably thirty years on average. Okay, so these are all because I looked out one day and this tree is standing. Yep. I look out ten minutes later and the whole top of it and we had had no we had had wind, mm-hmm. but at that the day before, but that day we didn't have any wind. It just fell. The top just fell out of it. It's just making firewood for you. Some of the okay. best wood in the world for what, your fireplace, but it's just that's the nature of the tree. What would you? What tree would you replant if you wanted to plant a tree to give shade, say for a a playground or? If you want something super fast growing, and if you can water it, Mexican sycamore is your fastest growing tree. If you want um, a little slower growing tree, but a totally oak wilt resistant tree. There's a tree called Monterey Oak, also known okay. as Mexican live oak, but it's not okay. related to the bigger live oaks, right. but it is not seriously affected by oak wilt in 99% of the cases. Um, there are some other oaks like burr oak, uh, which is a great tree, but a little bit slower growing. But if I'm looking for instant shade and if I can supplement the water a bit, Mexican sycamore is the fastest growing reasonably good quality tree you'll find and the monterey oak would be the next yes ma'am those are my top two and after that we're looking at cedar elm we're looking at burr oaks we're looking at montezuma cypress uh but but my top two are going to be mexican sycamore and monterey oak and the monterey oak does not take as much water well you don't have once it's established it'll be happy with what mother nature gives it okay, okay. sycamore okay. in nature is a tree that grows along riverbanks and creek beds right that's what, so yeah when it gets dry it's going to need a little supplemental water from you but um it's, it's not a water hog by any means but it's a mm-hmm. tree that'll grow 50 feet tall in 10 years so um yeah. where we were looking for instant shade it's going to be my first choice yeah okay Okay, I think that's all my questions right now. You have a great weekend. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rita. Goodbye. All right, Carol is up next. Good morning, Carol. Hey, I have several questions. A caller called in earlier about leaf curl on the tomatoes. Right. And you said, was it uh, just the leaf curling? Mm -hmm. If the stem of the leaf kind of curls around, is it? Is that something deformative? No. If you would know, if you had a virus in there, uh, one of the names for one of the viruses is witch's broom. It'll be the most, it's just mutated looking. It's just totally distorted looking in its growth. In that case, you're probably better to pull it up. If you catch it early, you may be able to control it with hydrogen peroxide. But having the leaves, or actually in this case, botanically, we should call them leaflets, because one leaf has a bunch of leaflets on it, to have them sort of curl up, wrap around that central petiole is the proper word for it. You're just looking at weather. Yeah, that's what it did. Yeah, you're just looking at what weather does this time of year. Uh, You need to be sure that when we don't get thorough soaking rains, that every three or four days you're giving those tomatoes a good saturating drink. You can't water with a sprinkler system. you just got to lay the hose out there, use a good drip system, and be sure that you really, really water thoroughly. And you'll never stop it, but you'll minimize the leaf curl that way, and you'll still get lots and lots of good tomatoes. Okay. Uh, cucumbers. There, I have uh, several cucumbers that have almost all male flowers, and the others have 95% or nothing but female. Mm-hmm. Is it Can they 
self pollinate themselves or well don't have any bees? Mark. Yes, but I saw on there that some are have G Y after it, uh huh, and some have M O. Does that mean ninety? 80% female and 20% male. And I'm, I'm not familiar just, with that designation. I, uh, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I, uh, I, when you have the male part of the flower, the pollen producing in a separate flower from the female flower, which produces a pistil, uh, the pollen has to get from one to the other, but it may be hummingbirds, maybe butterflies, maybe moths, maybe mason bees, uh, it may be a lot of things besides honeybees, or it may be Carol getting out there with a little paintbrush moving Well, I've pollen. done that too, but yeah. I, the one of them has so many all-female flowers, mm-hmm. and there's no male flowers on there. Well, it's amazing the things you don't see as far as the little flies moving things around, and if you've got other plants, even if it's a different variety with male flowers, they'll get pollinated. You'll get plenty of cucumbers, but it you do have to have some agent to move the pollen okay. from point A to point B, and Mother Nature usually provides that. What you will see if you're not getting enough pollination, that cucumber will start to develop normally, you know, big, thick, maybe inch and a half in diameter, and then all of a sudden it'll make this little skinny rat tail look for the rest of the cucumber. Right. Because you have to have one pollen grain from every seed in that cucumber. And if it starts to develop normally and then just, you know, resorts to this little skinny shriveled up thing, uh, that's when you're, that's when you know you haven't gotten enough pollination. You need to either attract more pollinators into the garden or you need to get your little paintbrush and go, go play bee. Right. Okay. Can you put citrus peel in the compost pile or not? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Citrus peel is wonderful stuff. And, uh, um, you know, it's, it's slow to break down, but, uh, I know Howard Garrett did some work, uh, I don't know whether it's Mexico or Central America at one point, uh, actually incorporating citrus peel into the soil to eliminate damaging nematodes in an aloe vera, uh, plantation down there. So citrus peel has a lot of good things to say for it. It just doesn't break down very quickly. All right. If you get uh, at the nursery two tomato plants or two eggplants coming up in one of the little, should you buy those or just one or pull one of them up? You know, if two seeds came up. <laughs> I buy those, man. I figure, I, you know, tomato plants don't mind being crowded, and I don't pull one of them up. I just plant them there and let them duel it out as to who's going to. And it's not really going to be one of them's not going to really win and dominate. It's just one of them's going to fill up one side of the tomato cage, and the other one's going to fill up the other side. But no, okay. when when I when I get a flat of tomatoes from the grower, <laughs> The ones that have two plants in there, if I need them, they go into my garden before anybody else even sees them. <laughs> but, uh, okay. No, I, I think it's wonderful if you if you get more than one plant per pot. I think it's just fine, and I, I wouldn't try to divide them. I would just plant them and let them grow. Okay. That's what I did. Thank you. Last question. I wondered if you had tried this. Uh, squash vine borers are just the nemesis of me, right. and so right. I was looking on YouTube and saw this little video that this lady said, evidently plants to sell a lot mm-hmm. and she said you take a paper cup just that nine inch paper cup cut the bottom out of it and put the cup over the seedling and she never has squash vine borers because the moths don't go down into that cup then you put <sighs> the cup 
into the ground, mm-hmm. you know, where the it'll come out of it. Now, I haven't tried it because I had my squash were up to before I saw that, but yeah. I just, I'm going to try it. I just wondered if you had tried I, it. If anybody, if I haven't. Listeners had tried it. Yeah, I haven't tried that. It uh, it is hard for me to imagine that that would work very well. I think you'd have to get one of those Vaintier Trenta cups at Starbucks or something like that. But um, the way my squash grows, it would topple that cup over. Uh, I I just I wonder. I wonder if she knows how squash grows in Texas. Uh, mine just simply get too big too quickly. And, yeah, they're different things work for different people. I've not heard that, but I'm not going to criticize something I haven't tried. But uh, it's a little hard for me to envision how that's going to work well in my garden. Well, I'm going to try it, and I'll let you know. I'll look forward to hearing that's from all. you. All right. That's all I have. Thanks a million. Thank you, Carol, Bye-bye. very much. Bye. All right, right back to the phone line. It's going to be Neil, Dave, Mark, and Liz. Good morning, Neil. Hi, Bob. How are you doing? I'm well, sir. How are you this morning? Okay, very great. You know, uh, I'm uh, trying to get uh, some grass started, uh, uh, St. Augustine grass in the shade. Mm-hmm. And I got on a, a website, and uh, it said uh, there's different types of St. Augustine grass that will do well in the shade, and in hot weather. And they listed four of them. And they listed Palmetto, which uh, you recommended. Right. Uh, Delmar. Right, which I uh, recommend. Captiva. New one I don't know about. C-A-P-T-I-V-A. Okay. And Seville. Seville is really hard to find. It's And, you know, I hate to talk about things that you're not going to find. Seville's not a bad grass. But uh, I just don't think you're going to find much of it. Uh, the ones I'd stay away from, I'd stay away from Raleigh because it's very disease susceptible. Right. And for the shade, I would stay away from, from Floratam. I love Floratam for the sun. It's the best, toughest, hardiest St. Augustine there is for the sun, but not so good in the shade. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to be happy with any of those, but I think the two you're going to find the best, have the best luck locating are still going to be the... Uh, um, you know, the ones we just mentioned, um, yeah. Delmar, yeah, Delmar and Palmetto. Yeah. Well, you know, I put in, uh, uh, Palmetto, uh, August of 2013 and I took 20 pieces of the sod and I, I scraped up the ground and I turned it over and wetted the, uh, the back of it and, and, uh, pressed it down into the dirt. Mm-hmm. It lasted about, uh, three months and then it died out and uh i'm getting ready to take one of the oak trees down that's uh looks like it's it's got woodpecker uh and and uh limbs that look like mm-hmm. they're breaking off uh, during a high wind so that'll open up a little bit more sun uh-huh so i'm trying to get uh i was uh, hoping I, maybe i'm going to go out to the grass company today and see if i can find it's Captiva, and I was hoping, or Seville, and I was hoping maybe you could tell me something about it, rather than go back to uh, one that uh, I uh, didn't have well, good success with. Well, you, you have to look at why you didn't have success. It could be that it's too shady for any St. Augustine. It could be that you didn't maintain your watering uh-huh. as well as you really need to, because you do have to water St. Augustine. If you don't, it will not do well. Right. And... Um, 
you know, you have to realize this would have been a lot better project to do in March or April when yeah. you're into the hot summer months and you're yeah. trying to get grass established. You you're you're already taking on a a pretty big challenge, and if for a while it's going to be daily watering and. Uh, plants have what they call a compensation point, and that is how much energy it takes just to stay alive, let alone put down new roots and really grow. And the further we get into the summer, the higher the compensation point is, the harder it is to get grass or any plant established. So uh, uh-huh. um, if you've got the time and the energy to do it, fine. If not, put it off till October. It's going to be a yeah. lot easier to get something established in October weather than it is in uh, July weather. And July is right around the corner, like day after tomorrow. Yeah. You say uh, October is a be- uh, better Well, time when it day. cools, when, before it gets hot in the summer, before it gets, uh, you know, after it cools off a little bit in the fall, okay. um, naturally, I mean, whether it's shrubs or grass, you can plant 365 days a year, yeah. but you're going to work your rear end off, you know, keeping it watered, getting it started. It's just, bottom line, it's just harder to establish something. Um in, yeah, in grass, in a permanent plant. Now, if it's periwinkles, if it's, uh, you know, gomfrina, if it's, you know, there are a lot of bedding plants sure. and things like that that love this kind of weather. But uh, grass and things like that, it's you're, you're into a tougher time to really get it going well. Yeah, they also listed uh, supina, S-U-P-I-N-A, bluegrass. No, no, we're too hot for any bluegrass. How about uh, creeping red fescue? No. Fescue is a water hog. They tried it down at the Botanical Garden. They had to water it three times a day to keep it going. Really? Yeah. Okay. Next question. Uh, Grasshoppers. I got all those little baby grasshoppers, Uh and uh, uh, I was wondering if spinosad would work on that. Not well. Um, Uh The nice thing, if they're small, you can put out the bait and... Uh, the Nolo bait, Nosema locustri, is back on the market, thank goodness, as of about 10 days ago. If I've got grasshoppers, I'm putting out that bait. It's more effective than any um, any control once they get bigger that I've found. How about the diatomaceous earth? If you can get it on them, that's fine, but I don't see your really being able to get out and uh well, i got a little puffer you know i put the de on it and, and <laughs> if you're doing a real small it. area if you're doing a real small area go uh-huh. for it but uh uh-huh. i can spend 10 minutes with the bait and be set for the whole summer you're okay. going to spend a oh. lot of time out there puffing that de yeah. if that's what you're relying on to control yeah. grasshoppers hello right yeah Okay. Anything else I could use besides Nolo? Well, keep your keep your bird feeders out. Birds eat a lot of grasshoppers. Yeah. But uh, grasshoppers are of the summer pests. They're the toughest one to kill out there. Okay. Uh, how about a hydro uh, hydraulic uh, mulch seeding? Is that any good for this area? Oh, it's just fine, but it's not something you want to do in your backyard. It's something uh, you can well, do if you're doing, yeah, if you're doing 17 acres of roadside, that's one right. thing, but it's not practical for okay. a homeowner situation. Okay, Bob, thanks a lot. I appreciate all your help. Uh, you don't know anything about that cat, Tiva. Uh, brand new to me, but um, 
You know, I I was at a meeting where they were talking about trialing 1,400 new plants just this year alone as far as annuals and perennials. So there are a lot of new ones coming on. I'm just, until I've had some personal experience, uh, I'm I'm not going to go by what the company says, but it's kind of like all these websites, suddenly the best grass in the world just happens to be the one they have for sale. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, I put in a couple of years ago, I put in uh, one from Texas A&M that they, and I paid, you know, like $200 for a little square, and I put it all in. And, you know, uh, most of that died out, but there's still some out there that's, yeah. uh, that's still growing. Yeah, Amerishade or one of those. Yeah, but, that's what it was, Amerishade. Yeah. I, again, there um a lot of uh a lot of the things recommended uh by some certain people they I, I think it was maybe FDR said it's easy to be a farmer when your plow is a pen and the and the nearest cornfields a thousand miles away these guys sit in their offices and sure. tell themselves that they know an awful lot about plants and those that of us that are out there working in the dirt every day think You need to get out here and try this before you tell everybody how perfect it is. Neil, have a great weekend, and we'll talk again. Thank you, sir. Bye. All right. Let's get back to gardening and back to the phone lines. It's Dave and Mark and Liz, and Dave is up first. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm good. How are you today? Just fine, just fine. Say, I have a couple of real quick questions. Um, I think it was last year or the year prior, we had a really bad windstorm, and Uh it it blew one of my uh, uh, oaks, kind of loosened up the ground. It, it's a, a newer home, four and a half years old, so I'm not sure how old the oak was when they put uh, So anyways, I had a tree company come out there and stake it. And yesterday I saw that some of the rope was actually not embedded, but imprinted on the bark. So mm-hmm. I cut it. It wasn't even cut. I didn't even need to cut it out. It just pulled out. Yeah. Is that going to be okay? Yeah, it's going to be fine. I'm sure glad you got it out of there. Because long term, the only true living part of a tree trunk is right underneath the bark. The central core of uh, any tree other than palm trees is dead wood. The outer portion is a very, very thin layer, uh, which actually translocates the nutrients from the leaves down to the roots. But all the living part of that tree is just underneath the bark. And when it gets girdled by an animal rubbing on it, by an animal chewing on it, by somebody leaving a piece of rope wrapped around it too long, that stunts the tree to begin with and eventually kills it. So you did exactly the right thing getting it out. Because it wasn't, like I said, I didn't have to cut it out. I just pretty much unwrapped yeah. it. No, so. the, the tree is going to form a callus tissue. It's going to grow over that. Now, in all honesty, for the next six months, that's a slightly weaker part of the tree. But um, not a lot you can do about that and certainly not worth trying to splint it or anything like that. Just at this point, the tree is going to take over. It's going to. It's thanking you. Uh, non-verbally for getting rid of that, but it, it's going to grow over that. It's going to heal that uh, That is a temporary problem. It's going to heal that totally. All right. I, I heard on your program once about staking trees. You really don't recommend them because that you say, like, the natural wind and stuff loosens up the roots and right. it makes, helps the roots do what they need to do? Well, it actually it helps the, the trunk to get strength. Um, the modern way... I mean, you don't want a tree blowing over. You don't want the root ball toppling over and coming up out of the ground. But if you are concerned about wind damage with a tree and you're planting a new tree, the the preferable way to keep that tree anchored in the ground is to actually use a, 
on either side of the trunk, maybe six inches out from the trunk. And most common thing to use is just iron pipe, but you could do the same thing with wood if you wanted to. But just laid on the ground, anchored securely at each end, and what that's going to do is keep that root ball from rocking back and forth. It's fine for the top of the tree to move, and uh, that's what long-term is going to give you a stronger tree. But you've you've um, just you've anchored the root ball, and that's what you're really trying to do. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. It does. Um so I could probably, I, I undid it. So I think my trees are fine now. Cause like I said, the house sure. will be five years old in November. So I think they're fine not to be tied up. Right. I totally think so. Okay. My last question is I have Bermuda and my backyard, I cut really, really short for my dogs and uh-huh. it's golf course green. I rarely water it just to wash, uh, dilute the urine and stuff like that for sure. the dogs. Right. But my front yard, I watered a lot and mow it one setting higher than my backyard and it's just not nearly as nice is um you know mowing higher will be more water conservative your bermuda grass won't use as much water but on the other hand um when you're mowing low you've got constant new growth and that new growth is going to come out that's going to be the prettiest grass you've ever seen when you mow it taller that grass ages a little bit more. It's a little bit more impacted by the weather. Doesn't mean it's less healthy. And like I say, the good side of mowing higher is that your grass is using less water. The bad side of it is it's simply not going to be that beautiful. You know how gorgeous a golf green looks. And uh, uh, if you're a person who's ever been out there at 530 in the morning, they mow that every day. And that's what yeah. makes them look so good and stay so low. So I think we're looking at totally normal things. I do think it's important to fertilize periodically with a good organic fertilizer. But I'm not at all surprised that your lower mowed grass is darker green. That's that's pretty much natural. I tried mowing my front like that. It just it went it went to brown and it really never came back. It's, it was just weird, so I just kind of raised it up one setting and just kind of let it go like that. Yeah, if you started out first thing in the spring mowing low. Uh, it would probably have looked as good as your backyard, but you okay. can't halfway through the you know spring into summer. You can't suddenly decide to change it. It, it just so doesn't adapt as well. Yeah. So so next year next year I should start out fresh with fresh uh, a good topsoil and then just mow it low and keep it low next year. Well, compost, not topsoil. Uh, yeah, compost. Topsoil is going to yeah. bring in weed, but compost is going to be good front and backyard. Uh, it'll be good for a lot of reasons. Now, compost, that will make my, because my uh, lawn people are saying I need topsoil, but I, I no. keep saying, no, I want to put no. compost on there. No topsoil. Uh, okay. Your lawn people are living 50 years ago when people dumped dirt on the yard without knowing why, and it was a very bad practice, and uh, I I can't think of any reason on earth, unless you have really severe grade problems, uh, topsoil would be the worst thing you could bring in. Okay. All right, that's why I need to know. I appreciate your time. You have a great weekend. You do the same. Now, keep in mind that weather is is weird, and it's not to say that we couldn't get a storm that, you know, can break up trees, but you're doing the best thing you can do with those trees. But, my gosh, just uh, uh, we've had some, some devastating winds. I have a, a neighbor last year that 8 o'clock at night was sending me pictures of he had lost the roof off of a barn, and huge trees just snapped off at ground level, and... Here I'm sitting a mile away, and uh, all I've got some rain and a ton of lightning. So we we do have some real rough, severe weather hit every now and then, and uh, 
there's not a lot you can do to protect a tree from that kind of uh, of damage. But hopefully, hopefully we, it'll be minimized. But uh, sounds to me like you're doing everything right on your trees at this point, Dave. So appreciate the call, and don't hesitate to Thank call you. me anytime I can help. Thank you. My pleasure. <laughs> Bye. Goodbye. All right. Well, Mark dropped off, so uh, it is just Liz, and that's just fine. Good morning, Liz. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing today? Doing okay, sir. Thank you. We had spoken maybe last week. I had called about the diesel and molasses. Okay. I didn't yeah. Write my notes. And uh, now, because it's uh, the thickness of the molasses, you said I could put two separate containers. Right. Correct. Yeah, and it's it's the important thing is just understanding everything we do. I don't want to just tell you what to do. I want to tell you why we do it. And it is, you know, diesel's not organic by any means, but it is very right. effective at killing some tough stuff like mesquite, like we satch, like some of these trees that are just real hard to get rid of. Uh, the diesel does an effective job of killing them. The purpose of the molasses is to stimulate the microbial growth that, uh, you know, degrades, that breaks down the diesel. Diesel is basically a hydrocarbon, and you can, uh, you know, you, you don't want it to stay in the soil. After it's uh, done its job of killing the stump or whatever, you'd like to get rid of it. And that's what the molasses is all about. The molasses is a very strong stimulant of the kind of biological activity that degrades uh, the, um, you know, the, the things that are in the diesel. So um, you just, uh, you could use, doesn't matter whether you use dry molasses, liquid molasses. Uh, you could use old Coca-Cola for that matter if it's uh, something that's that sugary. Uh, but it's just you're, you've got one killer and one soil cleaner upper, so to speak. And so it doesn't matter whether you put them on together or whether you put them on separately, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Uh, and it doesn't matter which, uh, it does matter, though, which one goes down first, correct? Uh, correct. Well, yes and no. Um, it's, I, I mean, I wouldn't put the molasses down two weeks in advance and then come back and follow it up. I, but if no. you if you accidentally grab the wrong <laughs> the wrong bucket, uh, that's not going to make any difference at all. So, but if I had them together already ready to do, the diesel would go down first and then the molasses. That's what I would do, yeah. Okay, the other question is, I have a friend of mine that moved out to Pleasanton, and of course it's very, very sandy. Right. She's wanting to plant some grass. Is that going to be possible? I heard the gentleman call earlier that uh, about shade. Oh, absolutely. One section where there's shade. What would be the best type of grass for her to plant there? Well, the only grass that will grow well in the shade is St. Augustine. And okay. uh, there are ground covers. Now, she could plant Asian jasmine. She could plant Vinca minor. She could plant. Uh, there are other things out there that, that can be used as a ground cover. But if she wants grass, it's going to need to be St. Augustine. And I am not opposed to St. Augustine. I love St. Augustine grass. You hear it get bad mouth all the time. Uh, I think the only thing wrong with St. Augustine is a lot of people have too much of it. Um, and I, but I think that's true of all grasses. I think the modern landscape is, you know, when I look at our parents, when I look at our grandparents, your yard was about 95% grass interrupted by occasional shrubs and trees. I think the modern yard is 30% grass, maybe with beds, with perennials, with ground covers. It's a lot more attractive. It's a lot easier to maintain. 
And so if you're, if you're doing your yard that way, if you have a reasonable amount of grass, you simply plant the grass that will do best in the area. And in a lot of cases, that happens to be St. Augustine. And I'm totally opposed. There are even cities out there, I think, including Bernie, that it's against the rules or against the law to plant St. Augustine. And that's just, that's just kind of not even thinking about what you're doing. That's making a rule without without thinking of why you did that. And if you want to have nice-looking grass, it takes exactly the same amount of water uh, to keep Bermuda looking nice as it does St. Augustine. So the the problem is uh, that if you stop watering it, Bermuda turns brown, waits for the next rain, and comes back green, St. Augustine dies. So if you plant St. Augustine, you have to have a plan to be able to keep watering it. Uh, but in the shade, it's simply the only grass that's going to do well. Okay, the other question that I had was, I was helping her plant some esperanzas and different stuff, but mm-hmm. it is so sandy, it mm-hmm. was like, oh my God, is the sand going to drown out the plants? <laughs> is that going to be okay, or what? Well, you know, plants don't have to have dirt to grow. Uh, we we call it hydroponics. You know, people actually, it's a form of culture of actually growing things in some inert medium and that's in effect what you're doing until you improve that soil now if you keep things organic you're going to gradually be adding more organic material to that sand if you want to get things off to a really good start you go ahead and get some good finished compost and mix in with the sand because it's a lot easier to grow things but uh yeah, you can take plain old sand, but when you stay organic, every time you fertilize, every time you water, every time you do anything to encourage your plants to grow, you're actually building the soil. And yeah. so that's why it's so important to stay on the organic program. But yeah, you, it's going to take more water to keep anything looking nice in Pleasanton or P-Town, as an old land of mine used to call it. But uh, you get down in that area, it's it's a little bit different than it is growing in you know rich soil in uh, king william and that's different from growing in the terrible poor soils that we don't have much of in the hill country but yeah down in that sandy i mean i'm envious of people in that soil because they can dig a hole without a digging bar yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, the last question uh is cuttings from the esperanza like mm-hmm. right now is that possible oh absolutely you would want to root them in perlite, the white uh, material, it's volcanic material, and uh, yeah, you can do fine rooting cuttings. You need to put them in the shade. You'll need to water them frequently, but uh, you'll have at least 50% success. Just keep your cutting short, no more than about four or five inches long, and uh, be sure you're taking cuttings from a good plant, a Gold Star Esperanza, and you'll be very successful. Very good. The last, uh, the other question that I had is the crepe myrtles. When could I take a or try attempt? on the crepe myrtle cuttings uh you do that in the fall october november all righty very good sir thank you for all your answers and you have a great day thank you for the good questions liz i appreciate it and you have a have a good weekend and we'll talk again soon all right it is a nice saturday morning in south texas and i'd be willing to bet it's a pretty nice morning up in north texas what's going on today howard well, there's something in the air that's getting me, that's all I can tell you. <laughs> it's still kind of warm, but yeah, we've got a lot of uh, pollen settling on the cars again. I don't know which trees are, are the culprits this time. You know, if I get a chance this week, and it's going to be a 
it's going to be a busy week. But I, I talk about we've got this incredible, I don't know what you call it, a health food store. It's like kind of a natural pharmacy, but it's a lot of different things down here called Rhonda's Nature's Way. And she put me onto something this year she calls seasonal allergy relief. It's 100% natural. And I'm going to grab a bottle of it next time I'm over her way and send to you because uh, I'm not normally bothered by allergies, but there are two or three things that were just kicking my rear end this year. And uh, she said that it'll take about 20 minutes to work. And she was right. About 20 minutes later, I felt a whole lot better. And I'll, it's uh, it's just one ingredient. Yeah, it's I, I don't really know what all's in it. It's probably in some ways homeopathic, but uh all I know is, is it works. It's just like half a dropper. It's 100% natural. Everything they do is natural and organic. But uh, it's just two, three times a day. You just squirt it into your mouth. doesn't have to be sublingual or anything else. But uh, next time I get over there, I'll, I'll, I'll get you something to try because it what few allergy problems I have, it really gave me a great deal of relief. And it's uh, totally non-pharmaceutical, so I think it's something you totally approve of. Yeah, sounds good. It's like what I sent you uh uh, after the show texted you last week, uh, there's there's a real bad crud going around down here that's coughing and sore throat and nasal congestion and all. And uh, Dr. Kirby actually went to see a, a, a guy. He's uh, the, the the term for his profession is an orthobiotomist, and uh, but he just he does a lot of natural things. And he's the one that uh, and Dr. Kirby started coming down with this, and he's one of these guys that just can't afford to, you know, be not feeling good with all he does in life. And uh, and Scott said, hey, try the oil of oregano capsules. And uh, and I can't tell you how many people I've told about that. And it is just within a day or two stopped uh, this uh, probably viral stuff that's going around down here. So I don't know. They're just uh, they're just they're just some natural remedies out there that work and it's just figuring out what they are and figuring out which one's going to work best for a given person. But, uh, there, there's a lot of good natural stuff out there that you and I both, uh, uh, ascribe to, and, uh, hopefully we don't need it too often, but long story short, I'll, I'll see if I can get you some of the seasonal allergy relief and you can see if it, see if it works as well for you as it has for a lot of folks down here. Yeah, it sounds good. It's uh, unusual because I don't ever get anything. I know. There's something different going on with the uh, the weather and the, uh, the kind of pollen that we've got around. I don't know. We're still cleaning up trees around here. I didn't realize how, b- how bad it was. I've got an appointment Monday with a golf course out uh, north uh, in North Dallas, and they're still completely shut down. They sent me pictures of great big limbs that are that are stabbed into greens that they haven't even removed yet. It's uh, we had a lot more uh, overall damage than I realized. Well, I was I had reason to be talking to the uh, uh, Dallas Arboretum up there, and I God, I wish those people would pull their heads out and start doing things organically. But I think they lost twelve major trees over there, and uh, that's a relatively small area, and it's. And we might have talked about this much earlier in the spring, but my meteorologist friend that kind of consults with the groundwater district, he told us in February, March, he said, watch out for violent weather this spring. He said the pattern is setting up where you're going to get so much interaction between cold air and warm air. He said this could be a really, you know, a a really destructive spring. And last night, uh, this little cell 
blew up uh, actually just south, moving south to north. I was right on the fringe of it and, and got, you know, basically 2,200 of an inch of rain out of it, but a tremendous amount of lightning and thunder. But my uh, real, real good friend of mine, um, he and his wife live kind of halfway between me and Bernie, which means he's about a mile and a half away. And he started sending me pictures. He had trees snapped off at ground level. He had about half the roof taken off of a probably 70 or 80 year old pole barn, uh, totally metal structure. And these huge pieces of corrugated uh, roofing taken off and literally wrapped around trees. And these these storms are, at least down here, they've been relatively concentrated and not very big but man where they hit the destructive force of them is just unbelievable yeah they they really have done a lot of damage i wrote a dallas morning news um column about some of the big ones that came down the root systems were very weak but even the ones that were had strong trunks and and good roots it it, you could tell it twisted a lot of the trees and tore big chunks out of the uh, out of the top where the trees were super saturated, where you could probably make a, a good guess that the people had been watering too much mm-hmm. and maybe using synth- synthetic fertilizers too. The root systems were incredibly weak yep. uh, compared to the top of the tree. The top, of the, the foliage, the canopy looked pretty good on a lot of those. It mm-hmm. was uh, kind of interesting to see, and it, it made a good point. Uh, for people about, you know, if you build what's going on down under the ground that you can't see, your tree's going to fare a lot better. Well, and I still think that the herbicides, all of them, whether it's a post-emergent like Roundup or whether it's one of the pre-emergents, I don't think there's any doubt that that really reduces the size and effectiveness of the root ball, and especially on a golf course where, unfortunately, they're probably the biggest users of herbicides of anybody out there, and... uh, I think that's one reason you've probably seen so much damage on the golf courses up there. Well, that and the synthetic fertilizers. The yeah. synthetic fertilizers do their damage kind of uh, quietly, just fouling up the mycorrhizal fungus mm-hmm. of the uh, root system. And, and, of course, the root system itself, its size. And that's, that's probably a lot of what I was seeing where these big trees yeah. fell over and just remarkably few uh, roots uh, exposed, just uh, just died out over the uh, over the years. And this, the storm that you guys though hit a pretty wide area. A lot of North Dallas got pounded by that storm, didn't it? Yeah, the uh, the course is <clears throat> Prestonwood uh, Country Club is one I'm going to be looking at, and I've heard that uh, Northwood and and uh, maybe is still close had tremendous damage, and they just went through a big remodeling, so. It's going to be an expensive fix. And then Royal Oaks, who has been flooded many times over the years, I think it's still shut down completely. It, it's more damage than uh, I've ever I've ever seen here, and it goes way on out. Somebody called me about uh, planting new trees. In fact, that's what my latest column was about, is which new trees I recommend uh, planting. And they were in Jacksboro, and they lost a whole bunch of big native um, post oaks. Wow. So it, yeah, it's wide, and it hit a lot of different kind of trees. Well, I know you have to be careful in what you suggest, although you, you're probably not quite as careful as I am. But I, I would really hope that maybe you can get the attention of a few people and say, hey, 
you know, look, let's take a picture. Look at how poor the root system of this tree is. And it probably has a lot to do with the way that you've been taking care of it. Why don't we try an organic program here? And if one out of 10 listens, you know, we're 10% ahead. So, uh, I'd, I'd like to hope that maybe people will, will learn a lesson from it. I know some of them will, some of them won't. Yep, that's true. What else is going on in San Antonio? Well, it's it's been an interesting week. I've uh, um, talking about a couple of new plants. Uh, I don't know if you guys have gotten this little new miniature periwinkle, miniature vinca, miniature cataranthus, whatever you want to call it. it actually came out last year. And uh, Roberta got one, uh, gosh, at one of the trade shows we went to. And it's got a flower that's maybe a fourth the size of the bigger vincas. But these things cover themselves. These little, just one little plant will spread out to make a, a just a globe that's maybe 18 inches in diameter and literally have 100 or more flowers on it all summer long. And uh, they've got a couple of new colors out there. Now they're a white, a white with a bright eye to them, as well as uh, two different shades of pink and kind of an orchid lavender. And it's just, it's always fun seeing a new plant that comes out that is really, really spectacular. And uh, talk to a couple of seed companies, and uh, they've got some additional varieties coming out. So that's a fun thing that we're starting to see a little bit more of. One that I heard about that's going to supposedly be available that is kind of exciting, probably more so for us than for you, but it is a species of coleus that is not is not especially attractive. It's something like coleus canensis or something like that, but supposedly it has an aromatic foliage that um, smells like some sort of predator, and the whole idea being they say that you can kind of interplant this with some of your other things, and it will repel deer and squirrels and rabbits. And, again, I've got to try it to see whether that's really true, but, man, there are places down here where, you know, just people are just so overrun with deer. The, the landscape palette gets very, very limited but if this something is something that can work as a natural deer repellent and, and add a reasonable amount of uh, you know beauty to the planting as well, that, that's another fun new thing that I've just uh, come in contact with, with this week. Talking to we, we've got one of our big suppliers has been forced to move to a new location, but the good side of it is they're building a bunch of really quality greenhouses and going to be able to grow a little bit wider range of things. I'm still working at trying to make them more organic, but uh, having kind of having a lot of fun uh, finding some finding some new material. Uh, the one other plant that has been around a long time, but there's some new, more compact varieties. Have you ever grown clayamy? It's yeah, uh, sure. It, it that th- right. there's some new varieties of that that and I absolutely love that plant. That's something that is so maintenance. Compact, maybe. Yeah. A little smaller. A little compact, more uniform in its blooming, and mm-hmm. to me, that's just a tremendous supper plant that uh, I wish we grew more of. So, been kind of a new plant week for me, and that's been fun. Yeah, that's good. Now I've done that. Uh, I did at least one of the one color of that miniature periwinkle. Uh, last year and maybe the year before, and I need to try some of the other uh, colors. It's a that's a good tip. And the Cleome, I I used to <clears throat> recommend in uh, landscapes that I did, and I do not have any right now. Of course, it needs full sun, which sure. I don't have a whole lot of. But I might uh, give that a give that a try again. Well, the new series is called Sparkler, S P A R K L E R, 
and uh, there are three different colors of it, and they're they're very compact, very uniform, and they're blooming. And uh, I I have not found many problems with them. The other thing that uh, that we're seeing more problems with, and it's actually more from the growers. I'm I'm not seeing a lot. I'm not getting a lot of calls or problems with it in people's landscapes. But uh, this downy mildew has become such a problem with the impatience. And uh, I, again, I'm not seeing much of it in organic landscapes, but boy, we're having trouble finding uh, good impatience from the growers now because of the way they grow things apparently makes them especially susceptible. There are some new varieties coming out that are more resistant to the downy mildew. So uh, that's another thing that I hope by next spring uh, we'll have a little better handle on. Yeah, I'm seeing uh, a few new things like that, but not a whole lot. I'm not seeing very many insect uh, pests. I'm seeing a few hit-and-run artists, uh, (laughs) various kind of beetles and slugs and snails a little bit and things causing some holes, but not any real big, regular problems. How about you all down there? I'm seeing, since my tomatoes have started coming into fairly heavy production, seeing a lot of that leaf-footed bug, but... uh, I'm using the spinosad soap on that, but um, like you say, now the fleas are the other thing. I'm I'm seeing more flea problems the past couple of weeks than I've seen all summer. But uh, as far as you know, grub worms seem to have been pretty minimal. Aphids seem to be pretty minimal. So uh, um, I, I, it's kind of one of those things I can't really explain why. But no, we're we're largely pest free so far this year. I think the one that I'm seeing the most of, and you rarely see the insect, is a is a flea beetle. It's a big flea beetle. Uh-huh. And there's one, somebody sent me a picture from down in y'all part of the state there, a real colorful one, and it almost looks like a, an asparagus uh, beetle hmm. with a white and red coloration uh-huh. and everything. And I think, I think that those flea beetles in general are pretty damaging and i think that if people are having trouble with that and seeing a lot of holes in leaves and things like that the garlic pepper tea and unfortunately there's not a commercial version of that anymore mm-hmm. you have to make it yourself but we've got the formula on dirtdoctor.com it's really pretty easy to make but you can buy the garlic and so just putting a little uh, you know hotness in a, a garlic spray would work pretty well that's a great idea. Absolutely. I love garlic pepper tea, and I think Meister Grow was the one that was making it for a while, but uh, um, <laughs> always go to dirtdoctor.com. You'll find the recipe there, and it's not that hard to make, but it's effective against a lot of different things. Well, it's amazing that, you know, the, the feds, well, I guess it was actually the state came and, and put a stop sale on it is what happened. Somebody, somebody complained, one of the people involved with the chemical stuff, if people want to do something that is a that's a chemical that fits into that category, this um, I don't know if y'all have it uh, the line yet or not, but you you ought to look into it. This Pure Grow product, it's essential oil. Uh-huh. It's also real effective on those kind of of hard to control guys because it, it it's such a different uh, chemistry. It's 
cinnamon and clove, basically. And I think I think cinnamon is a, is a real benefit in a whole bunch of ways. So you you might give that a shot. Also. Yeah, we don't we don't have a good source on that. I guess we're going to have to go directly to, and I'm making a note as we talk to see if we can order it directly because none of the oh, none of the big guys are sure, sharing. They're, they're kind of encouraging that. I think it's a it's a big company that's been selling their products, and they have a weed control that works great insect and disease and they've been selling in agriculture for quite a long time this entry into the uh, retail market is new for them but they are selling direct so that's what uh, the way to go probably one more thing for me to do this afternoon no i love cinnamon and i think you know cinnamon is one of the best uh for some of the rots especially some of the bacterial rots it can be hard to control i think cinnamon cinnamon is one of the best controls you've got out there so doesn't surprise me that it's working well. We have a, an intern that's helping me try to get my uh, <laughs> gardens and everything at the office back under control. I've been spending so much time painting and not as much time as I should out in the garden. And she came up with an idea uh, at her home, and, and I was kind of fired up about it, but it doesn't look like it may work too well so far. She had some uh, Carolina snail seed mm-hmm. that had... Uh, a fungal disease. It could have been bacterial. It almost looked bacterial because the disease was staying within the veins, and, and that's a good sign. Yep, absolutely, that it is bacterial. I so she thought, well, what if I make a tea out of the sick plant, uh-huh. and then use it as a spray? And she's been playing around with that idea. Hadn't seen any, you know, huge response or. Uh, benefit from it yet but the idea is kind of cool maybe something Mm -hmm. there that'll be real interesting to watch well i'm glad you've got an intern you know it's uh it's as many ideas as fall by the wayside just because we don't have a time to really look at or an experiment with them Uh, that's a great thing and you know it we you may go through a number of them before you find some of them that really work but for every one new thing we find we're just that much further ahead and have that many more alternatives to the to the other side of agriculture that we don't care for well it would be fantastic on a weed like carolina snail seed because it's by far the most uh, problematic weed that we have at the uh, office it was there when we bought the place and it's still there and in the underground part of it is so big and woody that mm-hmm. you know you just keep taking it out and taking it out and spraying the new growth uh, as it uh, you know feathers back out and you don't seem to make much headway with it it's a pretty vine and people tend i've done i've made the mistake myself in the past uh, to tend to let it grow in one area you know, <laughs> won't hurt anything here well yes it will the birds get the seed and it spreads underground and it's just one of those that we need to figure out how to totally eliminate well uh, one of my favorite sayings is given an inch and it'll take a yard your yard <laughs> yeah. well keep us posted on that and uh as as always uh dirtdoctor.com is just the resource when it when it comes to fight, finding and fighting these things, uh, the one that I wish we could find, uh, oh gosh, one of several, but we have one that they call bindweed, which is that wild morning glory. Yeah, that's a tough one. And boy, it'll it'll take a garden. And uh, it's, I love my push-pull hoe, but I sure do have to use it frequently, and I'm not sure I'm gaining. I, I think I'm just holding my own in, in my garden at least. 
Yeah, the problem with it is it comes back from just any tiny little piece that you leave in there. That's why it's it's so tough to get a hold up. I'll tell you another one. I'm I'm trying. I'm gonna go ahead and try to totally eliminate, which is gonna be tough at, at home because I've got it as a ground cover area in, in the area under the big crooked tree that mm-hmm. Nelly climbs. But I'm at the office for sure. I'm gonna get rid of uh, uh, Virginia creeper completely. It's just too aggressive, grows too fast, and in a couple of places here at, at the at home, it grows up the side of the house now oh, yeah. on the eaves, and it seems to just do it overnight. Now, it's pretty easy to pull out and get rid of. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just have to <laughs> do it and be consistent with it. It's a whole lot easier than the uh, Carolina snail seed sure. and some of those other things. Well, and it's got that beautiful fall color that you... It no, it does have some good things. What about your hutenia? That's another one I know that you were concerned about having gotten out of hand at one point. That started I out gave looking up. gave up. <laughs> I gave up. It, it's unbelievable. I, it, it's probably the t- uh, even tougher than the Carolina snail seed to totally get rid of. We took it completely out. Had some guys come over and completely clean some beds of it and. Uh, it it's kind of like the bindweed. Any little piece that you leave, it uh, comes back. The only thing that's going on with it that uh, I'm a little bit excited about is it seems to overall be getting weaker. Mm. And I don't know if that that happens over a period of time with it, or it has to do with the fact that we keep <laughs> chopping on it and uh, you know trying to get rid of it. It has changed its look over the years. It used to be real pretty. And variegated. Now uh-huh. it's just green. Still has pretty uh, <laughs> flowers, but the flower between the flowers and the underground part of it, it is unbelievably aggressive and uh, problematic. The, the one that we have gotten under control that I've written about being another super problematic weed is the cashmere bouquet. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's uh, it's pretty easy. It'll tend to come back and come back and come back, but it doesn't just spread all over the place too fast. If you dig it out of the ground where it is, it's pretty easy to get it under control. It's it's a clerodendron, isn't it? I think yes. that's uh-huh. yeah. beautiful it, plant. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Has a funky smell to it. Speaking of uh, strange plant smells, but it is uh, it's not a good one unless you can put it in a place where it's totally <laughs> contained. A, a herbalist uh, years ago taught me something and she said I want to tell you 